This is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And in honor of the joy of the cicadas being gone, I have left my windows open so you can appreciate the chirping of the birds and not the loud buzzing of those bugs. And we're very excited that they are on their way out. And speaking of strange creatures, we... Well, I wanted today to look at the para aduma, the case of the red heifer, which is what opens our Parsha this week, Parsha Chukat. Now, Chukat is actually named for the para aduma in that it is introduced as Zot Chukat HaTorah. This is the, here the JPS translates it as ritual law that God has commanded. And first, let's just talk quickly about what this ritual is. So we need to have a para aduma, a red heifer, a red cow that has no blemishes. It's tamima. Um, there's no blemishes and that it has never worked. There's no yoke that has ever been placed on it. So you take this this sort of rare animal, this red animal, this pure animal, and we know that in Israel, people are trying to, to grow a new paraduma, but it's not so simple, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then Elazar Kohen, he takes it and he's going to slaughter it outside the camp, um, sprinkles its blood, and then um, we have to burn all of it. Then he has to wash all of his garments and bathe in the water. Um, he can run to the camp, but he's still unclean until evening. And then a new person who's clean has to go out and take all the ashes, um, keep them outside the camp, but in a clean place so that these ashes can be used to cleanse someone who has come in contact with a dead body. Now, there are multiple reasons why this is very strange. I think first of all is, why does this cow burnt ashes, therefore cleanse someone who's come in contact with the highest form of tuma, with the highest form of impurity, that is a dead body, right? Why? What is the relationship between those two things? And I think another thing that really raises our, our eyebrows and makes us wonder what is going on here is the relationship of purity to impurity. That the Kohen, the very act of preparing the para aduma's ashes actually renders the Kohen impure. So in order to create the most purifying substance, you have to become impure in that process. And not only that, but that this purity slash impurity is what cleanses a person from their most impure state. So you see, it's it's fairly illogical in that sense. It bounces between purity and purity, and I think really makes us ask so many questions about what really is happening here. What is this all about? Now, we're not the only ones who ask this question, because as we said in the beginning, the Torah opens with Zot Chukat Torah, right? This is the ritual law. Now, we know the sort of famous, whatever that means, that, that Chok is contrasted with Mishpat. Both are words that are used to give us um, ruling sentences, laws in the Torah. Um, and we say that Mishpat refers to the ones that have explanations that make sense, right? You cannot steal from your neighbor. That would be a mishpat. Why? Because it makes sense, right? We understand why we don't want a society that steals. But this whole this whole to do with the red heifer, with the paraduma, that there's no logical coherence to that. And so therefore it's in the category of a chok, 
of something that we do because God says to do it, but not something that we do because it's logical and because we understand it. Certainly we could compare it to, to things like shotness about not wearing um, wool and linen together. And there are other examples of things that we just do because the Torah says, but not because we really understand why we are doing them. Okay, so that's the background. And today I just want to consider two fundamentally, I think, different approaches to what we do with this, right? We we have this, you know, we read it, of course, in this week's Parsha. We also read it in connection with Pesach. We read, this is something that the red heifer, the paraduma, plays a prominent role. And as I said, there are people in Israel trying to breed a new one. This is something that, that you know, it's a, one of the focuses of our religious practice. And I think that, therefore, it's very interesting to see the different approaches of how do we contend with the fact that one of the important parts of our religious practice, one of the things that purified someone who was so impure is something that not only doesn't make sense, but also that God has told us doesn't make sense by calling it a hope. So the first approach is what I would call blissful ignorance. Um, and this is one that basically says, uh, don't try to understand it or that there is no way to understand something like this. And that, I mean, that the, the Mishpat versus Chok thing that we just discussed is articulated in the Gemara and Yevamot um, that basically says we've got all these Chukim that don't make any sense. Um, also gives the example of the Chalisa ceremony with for Yibum um, when a man dies childless and then we have to, the next brother has to redeem the wife and, and, and all of that. And it's just, it, these things don't, don't really cohere, as we said. They don't make any sense, but God says, I'm God, I said them, so we don't doubt them, right? We just have to, our role is to accept them just for what they are. Um, and there's also a great story um, in the in the Midrash, in Bamidbar Rabbah, um, about a, a Gentile who comes to Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai and says, well, these crazy rituals that you do, it's like witchcraft, right? I mean, what are you doing with this cow? You take its ashes and then it's, you declare someone impure? I mean, you declare them pure? Like, what is this nonsense? And basically, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai says, well, you also have goofy things that you do. What makes this worse? Um, and then his students say, okay, why, you know, what, okay, fine. So you dealt with that guy, but what about us? How are you going to explain to it? As, how are you going to explain that to us? We don't have another tradition to compare it to. And he says, Psh, this thing doesn't actually make sense. What we're doing isn't real. A dead person doesn't actually make things impure and the water doesn't actually make things pure, but rather God says, here's my rule. This is a chok, I have declared it, and you have no permission to transgress what God decreed. This is what it is. So that's really, I think, as we said, one approach of you accept it, you just do it because it's there, and this is part of God's system, and we keep God's system, and so you just keep that as well. That's an approach that um, basically says, don't try to, you know, it, it says, stop trying to figure it out. Right, actually actively discourages examination. Don't try to understand where this is coming from. Just accept what it is and move on with your life. But not unsurprisingly, we also see other positions that resist that approach and don't even necessarily explicitly reject this approach, but still I think show discomfort with this idea that you would just 
accept this from God and move on and not try to you know dig deeper. Of course, we're a religion, a religious tradition that digs deeper into everything. And so maybe it's counterintuitive to just say, you know what, I'm going to accept this and move on. Um, we see this in the Sefer Achinuch, who first says, yeah, don't we you know? We don't try to understand it. We accept it. Even King Shlomo, um, there's a tradition that, that Mel Shlomo tried to understand it and said, this is the one thing I can't figure out. But then also starts to hint towards the idea that actually maybe someone did know. And actually at first he, he quotes a, a, an opinion that um, Moshe knew, right? God said to Moshe, I'm going to reveal the reason for the paraduma. No one else is going to know, but you, Moshe, you're going to know. Which implies what? That, okay, we can be ignorant, but at least someone knows the answer. Someone out there understands what this is about. This does, on some level, make sense. And already that attitude is a departure from the first camp that says, don't even try to understand. Even entertaining the idea that it does make sense to someone is a departure from that first camp that says, it is totally none of your business. So that's one approach that starts to diverge from that first approach. And then I wanted to conclude by looking at the Svas Emes, um, a very favorite of my dad, someone I, I must admit, I don't frequently understand the Svas Emes, not my dad. Um, and, 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 you know, Chassidus is something that I have a complicated relationship with. And, and sometimes, you know, try to don't, don't, that's not the first source that I run to. But here, I think that his opinion on this is very interesting. Um, also, because I think it's very human. So what does the Svesemes say? He says, okay, first of all, the world is created with God's word, right? God's word is what creates matter. It's what creates life. It's what sustains life. Everything that we have came from God's word, from God's commandment. And in that sense, whatever God commands us is like the ikar of the world. It is the most important part of the world. It is that very, there's nothing as powerful, as life-giving as God's word. And so there's something inherently powerful, critical about any of God's commandments. Now, that would apply to both mishpat and to chok and to the laws that we don't understand. But then he takes that a step further and he says that the power of God's word um, and God's speech, Dafka comes from the hidden. It comes from the chok. Why? Because when we have something like a chok that is not immediately understandable, that is harder to access, it, it, we are, Dafka, what, it draws us into it. Because we want to try to contemplate it, to understand it. And a chok, something that at its core seems illogical, that seems difficult to understand, invites us in. It's, it, it prompts us to start thinking and to start considering, which is a relationship that only chok can give us, right? Mishpat and, and other parts of the Torah if something makes sense, you say, if I say don't steal from someone else, God says don't steal from your neighbor, you're not going to be drawn into the mystery and try to understand it the same way because it makes sense. You just kind of accept it. The Hulk is the world of things that don't immediately cohere. And that is what we are attracted to. And that's where we devote our mental energy, our spiritual energy 
to try to understand. And even go so far as to say that this whole concept of chok, it sustains us. It draws the energy and flow to everything in the world. And it gives us blessing because really the way that you connect not only to the Torah, but to God is by spending time trying to understand God's word. Because God's word is at the core of humanity, of the world, of life, and of everything. So as I said, sometimes these, you know, these ideas are not not what what I totally click with. But here I think what, you know, if you think about what is, what, is, what is he really saying? What he's saying is the complete opposite of the approaches that we saw in the first camp. The first camp takes things that we don't know that we don't understand and says, just accept you don't understand them. Don't try to figure it out more because you're not going to get anywhere. And I would imagine also perceives the risk that when you try to understand things that seem fundamentally un, 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 ununderstandable, let's just go with that word, there's a, there's a risk. Um, there's a big risk to that because you might just say, forget it. I can't understand this. It doesn't make sense. And you give up. And there are some people who like who live like that. There are some people who want to live their lives only doing things that they can understand and things that make sense. In the Svasemes, he takes such a different approach because he says, no, the very beauty of not understanding something is that you don't understand it. Not understanding something doesn't mean you then stop your pursuit lest you become more entangled and in, in struggle with the fact you don't understand something. No, that's where you find life. That's where you find God. That's where you find spirituality. That's where you find the energy of the world. And I just really think that in that context, I, I appreciate that so much because I think that this is an attitude that really promotes it promotes confidence and it promotes flexibility and it promotes spiritual growth. It's not one, it's not an attitude that scares us off, that makes us feel less than or unworthy or like we can never possibly understand this, so why bother trying? It's an attitude that invites everybody into Torah and invites everyone to struggle with it, even if they don't really look at it and see exactly what it means. And I, I think that that's an attitude that is so important for us to have in mind when we think about what is our relationship to Torah? Who are we as people who study Torah? I've definitely studied many times in my life with people who felt like, well, I, I, you know, I'm ignorant. I don't possibly know anything. I can never understand this. Okay. First of all, I'm sure that's not true, but also according to the world of Svasem is great. Come on in. The less you know, the more holy your text, your Torah study is, because it's the less you know that forces you to engage more and more and connect to God. And that this statement is really a, a fundamental equalizer um, and a statement that enables all of us to feel that we have our place in Torah study and invites us into that and gives us the confidence to do so. Shabbat Shalom.